Welcome to the Barely Science Podcast. This is the Barely Science Podcast, and we're your Barely Scientists, Ryan and Alec. Hello. And today, we've done the impossible, along with everyone else on the planet Earth. We made it. We survived Nibiru. So you may recall it floating around the media, and if you listen to the first podcast, that a rogue planet, planet Nibiru, was foretold by a Christian numerologist who looked through the Bible to see uh, when doomsday will come. And he settled on, what was it, the 23rd of September? Yeah, as Harold... Heralded by the eclipse, 33 no, days. and oh. Heralded by the great American solar Sorry, eclipse. Not just Call any it, eclipse. Refer it by its correct name, thank you. So, um, surprise, surprise, we're still alive. We made it again. and through, We survived another doomsday. Yes, but old mate David ain't going away too soon. He, he's liking his, his time in the spotlight, heralding the end of the world. So uh, he's now completely ignoring that false prediction he gave. Uh, and now he's saying um, that the uh, Bible is predicting doomsday will arrive on October 21st. Oh, so we've got a, we've got a new doomsday. Yes, and he's, he's easing off Nibiru this time. Uh, instead, he's, uh, he's told the post... The world is ending, but the world as we know it... Oh, sorry, sorry. Incorrect quote. We'll try again. (laughs) The world is not ending, but the world as we know it is ending. (laughs) Oh, I see. (laughs) A major part of the world will not be the same the beginning of October. Wait, that doesn't make sense because he's predicting it occurs at the end of October. Maybe. I I don't know. Who knows? Um, We won't dance around his his, uh, claims this time on the podcast. I'll just say that's straight up uh, BS. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We've already got one false prediction from him. And I'm pretty sure that Nibiru wasn't the first time he claimed the world was going to end. So we shall... Uh, say goodbye to David Mead and ignore his uh, more recent cries for attention. But if you are worried about the end of the world coming from this Christian numerologist, don't be. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's beside the point. How are you doing, Alec? I'm doing pretty well. It's it's a you know I've not had my second coffee yet, so I'm not fully charged. Okay. But I'm doing all right. Well, how are you feeling? Uh, oh, that's right. The um, the DNA activation. No, no, no. no we'll ignore that. Oh, okay. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? I, I'm feeling a bit scared now. You're looking at me a bit strangely. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> I I can tell you how you're feeling because I know you're a Libra. Oh no. And I looked up on astrology.com how you should be feeling today. So. Grant me this moment to tell you about yourself. Uh, tell me, please. I'd, I'd love to be enlightened. You're a real expert when it comes to relationships. So if anyone can counsel someone else on romance, it's you. Maybe I should hit you up about that. Still, since you're almost certainly involved in a very intense situation yourself right now, you might want to take a break for a little while, at least long enough to figure out this latest challenge. Well, that way, when you're asked for advice next time, you'll be able to offer it 
with a clear conscience. Wise, wise words right there. Yes. So I know how you're feeling today. So hmm. this, this leads us in, of course, to the topic for this podcast, which is astrology. And being astronomers, Alec and myself are very familiar with astrology. Uh. And, and we'll make that bias quite clear. But uh, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll try and be as open-minded as possible mm. and critically evaluate what astrology is based on and what it can do. Yeah, it's, uh, we run into it quite often, you know, if someone asks, you know, what do you do? You say, oh, I'm studying astronomy. And they go, oh, you know, astrology? Oh, cool. <laughs> what's my, what's my star it's, sign? It, yeah, we... So you may notice a lot. a lot of um, astronomers now, professional astronomers, mm. call themselves astrophysicists. Yeah. So it gets around this problem. But anyway, uh, I'll just read another horoscope um, for myself. Not for today, but for yesterday. Okay. So I'm an Aquarius. Ah. Mm, what, mm, I, I was going to say that. Well, that means this, but I, I honestly don't know <laughs> what that means. You're a bad astrologer. Uh, astro- uh, yep. One of those. Yeah, one of them. All <laughs> uh, right. So my horoscope for yesterday from MSN was you could have some visitors tonight. So you'll want to keep some refreshments on hand. Some friends could stop by and to say hello, or a family member could stop by and ask for your help with something. You might even volunteer to babysit for someone. You're great with kids, and you could have fun keeping your nieces, nephews, or neighbors' children amused. Allow yourself to be the entertaining host tonight. <laughs> so, I, I need to ask then, did you entertain guests last night? So this is the interesting thing. I did not entertain guests, but it is fairly frequent that I entertain guests at Mount Stromlo. Oh. So, so uh, two nights prior, I was doing that. So mm. perhaps my horoscope's just off by two days. Who maybe. knows? I don't know. I mean, it's like an entire month, right, that it's <laughs> condensed down to. So maybe. Oh, so it's for the whole month. Yeah, well, oh, okay. anyone that falls in the Aquarius bin would yeah. get that same horoscope. Okay. So a lot of yeah. people got visited uh, last night. So that's nice. But anyway, let's let's think about the origins of astrology. How mm. did that all come about and why does it persist today? Because if it persists, surely there must be something to it. Maybe so. So a good place to start is the original meaning of astrology. What do you think astrology's original meaning meant? Oh, wow. I'm actually not 100% sure. I mean, I know it shares a common origin with astronomy. Mm. And that, yeah, there's still a lot of uh, astrological-esque terms floating Mm. around in astronomy. So I know they have a common past, but I'm not exactly sure what at least the the origin of the word is. So the word comes from Greek origin, meaning study of or the account of stars. So its origin, in linguistics at least, is a very scientific origin. Mm. It's the study of stars, accounting for where they may be. So you could imagine that uh, in early days when people were just getting around the place, looking at the stars and seeing how they changed on a nightly basis was quite an interesting thing to do. 
because they generally follow quite a predictable cycle. And if the heavens above are, uh, well, the heavens, then surely they have some kind of uh, bearing on what's going to happen in our life. So that, that all has uh, logic to it. Mm-hmm. And we'll explore that logic as we go forward. And as you mentioned before, astronomy did have very close roots with astrology. In fact, astrology birthed astronomy. So in a sense, we are astrologers, despite... (laughs) Hey now, be (laughs) open-minded. My address is right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so some major noteworthy uh, astronomers that were the court astrologers were Tycho Brahe, the oh. guy with the, the gold nose. Yeah, Tycho's, oh, maybe he's a, he's a topic for another day, but he was an amazing, insane person yes. with a lot of money and, but, and a lot of spare time. He was fascinating. And his, uh, his uh, contemporary, Johannes Kepler, was also a, a court astrologer. So Kepler was also an interesting man. Uh, him and Tycho had some... Uh, Interesting interactions, we'll say. And then Galileo Galilei was another court astronomer. So it seemed like a lot of the major players and the foundations of astronomy were astrologers. Hmm. How does that make you feel? Well, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, the, they have overlapping skill sets, especially mm. in um, ancient times when, well, not even that ancient, even, you know, the invention of the telescope for astronomy was Galileo Galilei. And mm. before then, all astronomy was done by eye. And mm. so it was all about keeping track of the stars and seeing what they were doing and what was changing. Mm. Um, and so in that sense, astrology, astrology and astronomy have that in common, as in just keeping track of the stars, what's happening in the sky. Yeah. Yeah, so not terribly surprising that those roles would overlap. Yes, that's quite right. So... Astrology, as you were hinting to, is firmly based in the positions of things in the sky. So let's talk a bit about the basis or the basics of astrology. So most of it is based around the zodiac. Mm. So the zodiac is this thing um, in the sky, a group of constellations which are close to the ecliptic in the sky, where the ecliptic is the plane or the line in the sky that the uh, planets and the sun usually go around. So why then? Why do we care about that line and why do things move in that line? So we care about that line because it's where... So if the planets were believed to be um, very special bodies because... If you observe the night sky over many months, you would find that the planets, unlike all the other stars, would follow a weird path. They would go forward in the sky, then they'd trace back their steps, and then they'd start going forward again. Or at least majority of them did so. Like uh, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. And now we know Neptune and Uranus also do a similar thing. Uh, the reason for that, why they move around in the zodiac, is simply because... The Earth orbits the Sun, and all the other planets orbit the Sun as well. And the further away you are from the Sun, the slower your your uh, year, or the longer your year is. So the Earth moves around pretty quickly compared to Jupiter. 
So uh, after 22 or so years, Jupiter will start moving around the zodiacs. So that's that's the basis of this thing. Mm. And the the idea is that on the the moment you're born, the zodiac in the sky combined with the relative positions of the planets, the sun, the moon, determines your personality. Okay. Uh, oh, I should just add as well um, that the way our solar system is configured is mm. that all the planets lie in roughly, or they orbit yes. in roughly the same plane. So that's why they end up orbiting around in the roughly the same line. Mm. They appear to trace the same line through the sky. Um, mm. Of course, Pluto doesn't. So well, Pluto being a dwarf planet, so it mm. kind of it intersects around through the ecliptic, and so um, and you can imagine that if we had a planet doing, you know, it was at 90 degrees doing like a weird kind of polar orbit around mm, the sun. Like a big old wheel. Yeah, you could, we would see it follow, trace out a different line but that line would intersect at 90 degrees mm. with the ecliptic. Yeah, so there is a scientific basis for why these planets all exist in the ecliptic. Um, so this, this nice ecliptic basis uh, combined with the zodiac then creates your predictions. Yeah, so because all these constellations are in the sky... So what does it mean for one to be present in the sky at the time of your birth? So your sign is determined by the position of the sun and the sky and what, what zodiac it is on the date you were born. Okay. So it's kind of a universal thing. doesn't matter which hemisphere you're in. If that zodiac is behind the sun when you were born at that time, then that's the sign. Oh, okay. Given. So if you could see the the stars, it's the constellation that would be sitting behind the yes. collection of stars sitting behind the sun. Yeah. On the day of your birth. Okay. That's that's pretty much it. So I, so it all comes down to the the relative power scale. Why the sun is the most important. So there are people who explore astrology in great detail mm. and have worked out you know the the traits of the planets and the sun and the moon. What and the traits of the constellations. So they can either go together and make uh, their properties enhance each other or they can be kind of opposition with each other and uh, change those properties ever so slightly. Now, I can already see a slight issue with this system. Right. What's, what's your issue? Well, so I'm, think, I'm remembering back to um, my undergraduate physics classes um, and we learn about... Um, spinning objects mm. so things like a spinning top they're kept spinning and they um, they behave in kind of some strange ways sometimes due mm. to angular momentum mm. so that's what keeps a spinning top upright and stops it from falling over yeah um, now an experiment you can do at home is that if you get a spinning top going and but start it not straight up mm. but on a slight angle mm -hmm. it'll it'll kind of rotate around it'll kind of do a little little jive and it'll yeah. slowly spin around. And that's called precession. Mm. And that's exactly what our Earth does. It's a spinning object. Mm. And it has a, at the moment, it's about 23 and a half degrees mm. off its axis. So it's rotating. It's kind of off axis, like a tilted spinning top. But that that pole wobbles around. It precesses. Okay. Um, so what that, but it does it very slowly. But what that means is for astronomers that over time the positions of the stars in the sky mm. shift ever so slightly. Yeah. So right now 
We, and so it actually means that as astronomers, we have to change our coordinate systems. And it's done, I think, every 50 years? I'm not sure. We're, yeah. s- we're still sitting on J2000, the Julian date. Yeah, Julian. But there was one from 1950 as well. So mm. we sometimes encounter that. If we're dealing with old data, it'll be in a slightly... The stars would have shifted relative to each other. And Quite objects substantially. In the like yeah. Even um, from 2000 to 2017, mm. uh, the... The amount of corrections that a computer system needs to do to actually point a telescope correctly on your object is is quite noticeable. Yeah. And so if you can just to try and make this easier to picture, imagine it's quite it's the exact same effect as a spinning top kind of wobbling around mm. as it spins around. And what that means is that the stars will shift back and forward. You know, the some stars will appear slightly higher or lower and they'll just kind of wobble around. But mm. this is over a very, very long time scale. So Usually, for most people, within a lifetime, it doesn't matter. But I'm guessing if we're going back as far as astrology dates, so how old is is astrology? Oh, it's it's very old. Like um, the modern astrology dates Mm. back to ancient Greece. Okay, so on the order of thousands of years, precession matters. Mm. So that would mean that the constellations that would be that would be um, behind the sun on your birth month. Were actually in a different position then than they would be today. Yeah, that's that is true. Ah, uh, and it is a big strike against astrology because all these astrologers uh, went around not noticing that the stars were shifting or yeah. that they had shifted due to precession. Yeah, because yeah, it's not something that you'll ever notice in a single lifetime. No, but over the course of thousands of years, it does build up. So. Uh, a year or two ago, a year or two ago, sorry, uh, NASA announced or they put out a statement because I guess they were sick of people asking them about astrology, <laughs> saying that because of precession. Also, it's been measured. Yes. <laughs> because of precession, it was 2011. Okay. That most of the star signs have actually, actually need to be shifted back by one month. Hmm. So myself as an Aquarius, I believe I need to be shifted to uh, a Capricorn. Hmm. So maybe that's why that prediction that I'd have visitors last night didn't make any sense. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe the people that make money off this just didn't take into account the basis of their their, uh, topic. (laughs) Mm. Hmm. So... That is a pretty heavy strike against it if they don't look at how things change and actually study these stars and just go based off what their books say, then they're not really practicing true science. Mm. Uh, so that, that is a big strike against them. But anyway, the, the two, well, the, the main constellations that are around the place are or the, the zodiacs, so Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. Mm. And I'll point out one, Scorpio is one that gives me eternal bane because <laughs> astrologers call it Scorpio, whereas astronomers call it Scorpius. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and I always get confused which is which. <laughs> I, I always say I, I end up changing which one I end up saying. <laughs> Talking to the kids one second, you'll say Scorpio. The next second, you'll say Scorpius. It's all fine. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. 
So um, it's a, often a common question that we get is why do we care about constellations at all, especially mm. in astronomy? Um, and so the constellations that you, we're talking about now um, all have a Greek origin. Mm. Um, and to be, yeah, they are entirely arbitrary, but they do have actually have some... Why are they arbitrary? Well... <laughs> Go it's on, break my <laughs> conviction on astrology. Why? <laughs> break your little heart. Yes. <laughs> um, so it turns out well, it's that their alignment is entirely because of our position and that the stars themselves, even though they appear close mm. to each other um, from our perspective, if we were to change our position, so if we, were to, if we could fly around in our galaxy in a fast enough spaceship, okay. then those same stars would no longer appear next to each other because often they're separated by great distances kind of along your line of sight. Mm-hmm. But they, even though they appear next to each other, one can be much closer and one can be much further away. Mm. Um, and at the same time, you can choose any shape that you like. It's often quite a fun game if you can come up with your own trash set of constellations <laughs> and find funny things in the sky. What was it that Carl Sagan came up with in Cosmos, the, the six-legged unicorn? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's a great South Park episode too with like, and now here's the Crusades. And they turn like two dots into <laughs> this, this incredible like army depiction. But the the usefulness that they still have or there's still just the historical basis and a lot of um, philosophy, especially Western philosophy comes from um, the classical era. Um, But also they tell some, some useful stories Mm. in that, for example, Scorpius, Scorpius, Scorpius killed in the, in the Greek, well, Scorpio. Yeah. The scorpion in the Greek myth um, killed the hunter Orion and so they were placed on opposite sides of the sky by the gods so they wouldn't fight when they were put in the sky. Um, and that actually has astronomical um, significance because mm-hmm. on the what we call the celestial sphere, as in just where they appear on the sky, they're on opposite sides. Mm-hmm. So um, now as we're coming into summer, um, or as in, sorry, through winter, especially in the Southern Hemisphere here in Australia, mm. um, Scorpius is lovely and high in the sky. Yeah, it's starting to set now, which is starting to sad. set. But, you know, Scorpius is a very large constellation. You can see it kind of right overhead. Um, but that means Orion will be down below the horizon. Mm. So it's a useful thing. So they're always on opposite sides of the sky. Um, and there's several of those stories, um, and they do hold actually some usefulness mm. in terms of some little ways to remember things on the sky. Yeah. But I guess the way we use them now is just that we use them to classify um, the direction of certain mm. objects. So we'll say things are in you know, Aquarius. It just means they're in the direction of Aquarius and, yeah. that's, and we give them names or some often objects we named based on which yeah. constellation they're in the, the direction of. So we just use them for directions now. Yeah. That's, that is, they are very useful in that regard. Yeah. Um, and you were saying before how it's kind of just like a projection, how we see yeah. the stars. A very good example of this is the two pointer stars of the Southern Cross. So if you're in the Southern yeah. Hemisphere, you'll be hopefully familiar with the Southern Cross. And this is something you can go out and see for yourself on a nice clear night. If you go outside, you look for the two pointer stars, mm. Alpha and Beta Centauri. So this is using the constellation, the centaur, uh, to... Uh, label, name these these two stars. 
So that's a usefulness of a constellation. But the thing with Alpha and Beta Centauri is they look kind of about the same brightness. Alpha is just slightly brighter than Beta. But Alpha Centauri is, of course, the closest star system to the Earth, about 3.4.2. Yes, my bad. 4.2 light years away from the Earth. Whereas Beta Centauri is around about 390 light years away from mm. the Earth. So it looks like it's close. Or they're, they're the same patch, but stars can have quite significantly different brightnesses. Yeah. And just for our 2D projection on the sky, you, you end up with very big differences. Yeah, because we can't, we can't see very well in 3D in terms of just by looking at it with your eyes. We can't... There, I should put that in a caveat. If you wait long enough, mm. we can see things called stellar parallax, mm. which is similar to the effect, you know, imagine like riding on a train, the objects like the track right next to you whizzing by, whereas mountains off in the distance will appear to move very slowly. So parallax is just like how much stuff appears to move based on you moving. Mm. So as the Earth goes around the sun, some of the closest stars, we can actually see the change in their position um, relative to us but of course it's just us moving as in there won't be exactly the same position so they'll appear to wobble but of course it's just us going around the sun but that we can reverse that and work out exactly how far away they are mm. but it takes a, it takes a year of observing in order to measure that parallax mm. and it's only it's useful for the closest objects because yeah. as you go further and further away the parallax gets smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually it's almost impossible to measure. So that's that's stars and stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've taken us down a track of astronomy. How dare you inject astronomy into this podcast about astrology? (laughs) So there's, whilst doing my searches last night as Mm. to what to talk about with astrology, I came across the Sydney Astrology School. It's a school. Yes. Oh. So uh, you can become a qualified you, astrologer. You can indeed. So I had a look around at some of the stuff uh, the school runner puts on the website, and he has a little blog. So I decided to read the blog. And there's something in there which, which was quite bizarre. Uh, he was wrong on something quite obvious. Oh. He, he's saying that uh, today, in fact... Uh, Jupiter will be moving to the constellation... Oh, sorry, I've, I've just lost my place. Duh, 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 duh. Well, actually, he says Jupiter is currently in Libra, mm. which it's not. It's in Virgo. Oh. And he said it's going to be moving to the next constellation today. But Jupiter doesn't move that fast. No. So... Yeah, so how long's Jupiter's orbit again? It's oh, it's it's many years. It's something like yeah, twenty two. Twenty two years, as we said before. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> uh, that's just a, an aside of me trying to work out mm. the the basis of astrology. If there's a school, then surely they must know. <laughs> but it seems even the school is a bit confused as to what happens in the sky. So I guess this is a good time to start thinking about the arguments against it. We're also, we, before we looked at kind of one of the biggest arguments is that they haven't been paying attention. Mm. And an interesting thing to come from that is, well, if people have been reading their horoscopes uh, religiously, 
to see what their day is going to be like. Why do they keep reading it? Because surely if they're reading the wrong star sign, then their horoscopes all must be out of whack. So surely they must never apply to them. Hmm. So this is this is a quandary that can uh, be summed up by an experiment that was done in 1971 by Bernie Silverman. I think I've heard of this one. So what he did was he had four different horoscopes and he got a bunch of people to come and choose the horoscope that best described them. And in one case, he had the... Uh, Zodiac labeled in each of the horoscopes. Yeah. And in the other case, he didn't. So in the case where the Zodiac was labeled, what do you think happened? I'm guessing people agreed for the most part with that their, their corresponding, their correct Zodiac, mm. their correct star sign best matched themselves. That would be my guess. Yeah. So it is the case that all of the people that knew their Zodiacs picked the one which was theirs. Yeah. But in the case of the Zodiacs weren't on, well, weren't shown, what do you think happened then? I'm going to hazard a guess and say it was a totally a, the same as randomly picking. Yes, that, that was the result. So we, we enter this thing where if you aren't explicitly told what thing applies to you, you don't know if it does. Yeah. So this kind of feeds into something called the Barnum effect or the Fura effect. <laughs> We've got something for everyone. <laughs> exactly. P.T. Barnum's Amazing Circus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this kind of plays into the thing. If you make something sufficiently vague, mm. it will apply to everyone. Yeah. It reminds me, <laughs> there's another great Barnum quote as well. Um, I, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Barnum was like a famous circus, um, what's the right word, organizer and performer. Mm. Um, he's got another quote that's often attributed to him, maybe incorrectly, I'm not sure, but mm. it's, uh, there's a sucker born every minute. <laughs> so, got something for everyone, and there's a sucker born every minute, I think kind of crossover. Um, yes. And there's a similar version that uh, that experiment, which I think still happens quite often in um, undergraduate psychology classes. Mm. Um where students will answer a questionnaire um, and then they'll be given a personalized um, prediction of, um, or, you know, personality description of yep. them. They'll give, you know, a page long, quite detailed, and they'll give mm. them specific details. And on the whole, people are then, or they're then asked to rate the accuracy mm. of this description based on a short questionnaire. And the majority of time, people are um, rated very highly. Yeah. And then, of course, the <laughs> reveal comes that every single person has oh. received the exact same description of themselves. I see. Yeah. So we're all, we're all equally individual. <laughs> it, yeah. There's a, a quote from one of my favorite movie characters, Tyler Durden of Fight Club, which is, uh, you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. Um, yeah. Sadly, as in obviously everyone has a lot of individuality, of course. I'm being a bit facetious, but... At the same time, people have a lot of stuff in common. Mm. People living in similar areas, same country, same class at university, yeah. most likely will have, on the whole, similar experiences, broadly similar experiences. Mm. So that's, that uh, is quite interesting. And it feeds into something else. 
which is commonly referred to as confirmation bias mm. or cognitive bias, which is another big thing in uh, psychology. Because, well, what it means is that you're more likely to remember something if it were true or if it turned out to be true. Mm. So suppose someone said, uh, you're going to be hit by a car today. Yeah. And you don't get hit by a car. Well, you, you start, sure, whatever. They were just a crank. They, yeah. they didn't know what they are talking about. But if you did get hit by a car. Mm. That'd be spooky. Yeah, right? it's been incredibly spooky. And you'd start thinking, well, what else does this person know? Yeah. So the same thing can kind of, these two effects, the Barnum effect and cognitive bias or confirmation bias, can go together. So if you ha- make something sufficiently vague that it can kind of cover a lot of bases mm. and then you one of something that happened to you fell into that vague range, then you'll remember that it predicted something that was going to happen. It wasn't a one-to-one prediction, but it was mostly correct. Yeah. It's often it's a kind of a, it's a game I sometimes play in that if you when I come across you know the horoscopes in the newspaper mm. um, is and this is something the the listener can try at home mm. is pick a random horoscope read that one and see if it applies mm. and on the whole you'll find that it actually will well yeah let's let's go back to your original horoscope okay that we read at the beginning yeah uh, are you an expert on relationships. Oh, wait, but wasn't it for you? Oh, no, that was you. Oh, that's right. I was, I was, a, I was a relationship expert. Yes. Well, it's my girlfriend's birthday coming up, and I think I've nailed the present. I All right. So as well, far as that goes, I don't know about general <laughs> relationship expertise, but I'd say I'm not, I'm not terrible. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so we can we can come back and test this after oh. your girlfriend's birthday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see how it goes down. Yeah. <laughs> and see see how Libra you really are. Mm. But of course, you're not a Libra. You're something else because oh. of the procession. Yeah. But anyway, we'll we'll ignore that for now. So that was sufficiently vague, and it captured something that you're feeling at the moment. Yeah. So if you weren't thinking critically about the situation, you might mm. think. Well, it's actually knowing what's going on with my life. It knows who I am. The star signs at my birth have predicted my life and how it will end up. So this, I guess, should lead us into talking about how can the star signs influence your birth? What what, what ways? Throw spitball with me, Alec. What ways could... The stars and planets influence you. Um, uh, so, okay, I'm going to try and try and base this as best best I can. Mm. Um, but <laughs> so, the there's two th- two ways that I know of mm. that stuff from stars and planets reach Earth. Yeah. Um, one of which is that everything with gravity or everything with mass has a gravitational pull, mm. and so technically. We are experiencing the gravitational pull of planets. Yeah. Um, however, they're so far away that their gravitational pulls would be are insignificant compared to what the Earth, the Moon, and perhaps even you know your cat as it wanders into the room probably has a stronger gravitational pull than the distant well, stars. Well, well, oh. there, Alec. I've done some <laughs> calculations. Oh, you've actually done the maths. I have. So we are we are blessed in modern times with. 
the Newtonian, well, Newtonian gravity. Yeah. So of course, it's not the real version of gravity. We don't even know if Einstein's theory of gravity is the real one. But anyway, it's good enough on the scales we're talking about now. Yeah. So if I chuck in the numbers for uh, the, the mass of Jupiter and the distance from Jupiter to the Earth yeah. and the mass for uh, the average weight of a baby, right? Okay. So 3.5 kgs for the weight of a baby, Yeah. 1.9 times 10 to the power of 27 kgs for the mass of Jupiter. <sighs> so that's a 1.9, well, it's a 1 effectively followed by 27 zeros. And the distance between us and Jupiter is 588 times 10 to the power of 6 kilometers, or uh, 588 million kilometers away. Yeah. So if you chuck it into the equation uh, for Newtonian gravity, you'll get out an answer that the gravitational force on a child at birth is 1.2 times 10 to the minus 6 newtons. Ah, but what's a Newton? A Newton is kind of the standard force uh, unit yeah. that we use in SI systems. So uh, we could go through the definition, but I can't quite remember it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> ah, don't worry. I, I got you, fam. Oh, good, good. <laughs> so it's a, what we call it's one of these derived units. So it's it's obviously bears Newton's name. Mm. Um, whereas the, so there's a difference between a derived and a fundamental unit. So mm. the fundamental units are like uh, meters, seconds kilograms mm. um so a newton is kilogram is kilograms meters per second squared yeah. so yeah it's for you can see why we call it newton and still yeah it's, that down all the time. it's a bit yeah it's a bit yucky we can talk about that later but for now it's just how much force is being applied to something how hard is it being pushed or pulled yeah so if you do a similar calculation or at, well before we go yeah how well how does 10 to the minus six Newton, so that's one. Is that a millionth? Is that how? Yeah, a million, a millionth of a yes. newton. Yes. How does that compare to forces we experience in everyday life? Well, I can give you an example from a child's birth. Okay. Oh, so <laughs> if so, a child is usually born, and there is a doctor usually around, and the people will normally cradle the baby after it's been born. Yeah. So if we take the average mass of a human, mm. which is about 70 kgs, yeah. and, it, and we have the separation between the baby and the human to be, say, 10 centimeters, yeah. or one centimeter if they're, they're particularly affectionate, then... Well, a mother and a child, they, I think affection <laughs> is allowed there, Ryan. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, but the force of gravity there is... Uh, 3.2 times 10 to the minus 3 newtons. So it's a thousand times stronger than the... Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> you mentioned one of the ways the planets could influence us. So this is... We're talking about Jupiter. Yeah. So it's the biggest planet in the solar system. Mm. Granted, it's far away. So the force of gravity is less. Yeah. But it it's often cited as like a, a big player in the way gravity works. Yeah. Um, but the force of a person is much greater than mm. than just you know yeah the planet. Well, well, and then even compared, so another one you can do quickly in your head is how the gravitational force um, from the Earth. And so on the surface of the Earth, objects will accelerate towards it 
at a rate of roughly 10 meters a second mm. per second. Um, so what that means, if, if you ignore air and you drop a, an, any object, mm. um, it'll start at zero. After one second, it'll be moving at 10 meters per second. Yeah. So what's that? That's like 36 kilometers an hour. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Another another second, it'll be going. It'll, it'll increase again, mm. and so it, it accelerates towards it. And it doesn't follow a constant velocity. Actually, yeah. It, it ex- the velocity will increase. So another second later, we're going at twenty kilometers a mm. second, and so on. So we can twenty kilometers a second. Sorry, sorry, twenty. Jesus Christ! No, seventy-two kilometers a second would be twenty meters per second. Yeah. Wait, what? Ignoring air. So no, this you- is this is in a vacuum. Or you divide by three. Twenty kilometers a second is still very fast. No, sorry, twenty. Seventy. <laughs> oh goodness, twenty You've, meters per second. There we go. Yeah, you, you unit, you unit screwed I'm, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So always check your units. Yeah, it's very important. They make a big difference. But that aside, so mm. we can use that to work out how much force is on uh, any object. Yeah. So a one kilogram object then mm. in um it'll have a force on it mm. of 10 newtons due to gravity mm. so because it's roughly 10 we're accelerating at 10 meters a second per second mm. times that one kilogram is what is 10 newtons yep so for a three kilogram baby it's about 30 newtons which enormously trumps which is a billion times stronger yeah. than the force from jupiter yes so the so we have we have an order of scales, right? So yeah. you could say, all right, if astrology is true and that gravity does play into this, okay, then uh, the Earth's gravity is a constant for everyone mostly. Although to the scales we're talking about, mm. the presence of mountains around you and where you're placed on the Earth might actually play a significant role. Actually, yeah, it would because uh, I am um, I am rounding up quite badly there when I say it's yes. roughly ten, the acceleration due to gravity well, is 10. Well, if we need to work to a precision of to the minus, a power to the minus 6, then we'd need to do the same thing with the Earth. Mm. So I'm pretty sure on that scale, nearby mountains would actually start and making the, the density. Well, the density of rocks underneath you as yes. well. Yeah. A lot, how many people are around you? So maybe we're, we're uncovering, we're, we're discrediting astrology, but maybe we're uncovering geology. We are a little bit. <laughs> we're we're stepping down into the the dirty dank depths of geology. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the gravity of the Earth. Sure. That we'll say that plays trumps. Yeah. But for the sake of argument mm. in favor of astrology, we'll, we'll say that's uniform, even though we've just discussed it isn't. Okay. Then the next step is the people around you and the yeah. building you find yourself in. Yeah. So. You know, that, that there's going to be multiple people around you. And then they're going to move around too. Yes. They're going to change well, a lot. So maybe it matters what star sign is behind them when they're walking around <laughs> and delivering you or whatever. So you can see there's problems with gravity. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll scratch that. All right. But there's still light. Yeah. That's what I was going to say next. The next bit that's we encounter more often and that we actually can experience mm. ourselves is the light that reaches. In fact, 
It's actually how all astronomy is done yeah. is by just looking at the light that comes well, from Well, not necessarily objects. anymore. Gravitational wave astronomy. It's very true. Um, we are recording the, the day after the announcement of the 2017 Nobel Prize yeah. in physics. And so that was given for the detection of gravitational waves. But surprise, we, surprise. <laughs> should have put money on it. Yes. But <laughs> we'll leave that maybe for another, yes. another day. So what do you think? About the, the light? Yeah. So, again, this is something that... Well, now we're entering a realm that actually it's something we encounter all the time. Mm. And that the light reaching us, light is something we all experience or, you know, it's all around us. Part of um, everyone who's sighted can see light. Mm. Um, to, and it changes a lot as well. And yep. obviously the strongest light we have, variety of different light sources... Mm of which the the light from the stars and the planets is by far the weakest. Yeah. So it wouldn't be too outrageous to say most people are born in hospitals, or at least in the Western world, where astrology seems to have quite a hold. Yeah. Who do you think would win? Fluorescent lights in a hospital or planets? Uh, especially if there's a roof over your head. Especially <laughs> if they're on the other side of the Earth and a constellation on the other side. Yeah. How's the light going to get through the Earth? L- let alone through the, the hospital roof. Or, and, uh, yeah. It's, and, uh, yeah, this is maybe a, a good excuse to talk about how much energy light has. Mm. Um, and that this is actually, we can go into, speaking of Nobel Prizes, mm. it goes into what Einstein won his Nobel Prize for, mm. which actually has nothing to do with gravity, ironically. Despite even, it being <laughs> his greatest contribution. Yeah. The contribution he, that he got a Nobel Prize for was actually related to how much energy light has. Mm. And it turns out that, we'll skip some of the history of it, but light, the amount of energy, a photon of light, so it's a single particle mm. of light, the amount of energy it has is uh, proportional to its color, so mm. its wavelength of light. Yeah. And so that means that the the shortest wavelengths or the highest frequencies... The very interesting light you're talking about. Hey, hey, now, let's, let's not get into... Coming from an ultraviolet astronomer, I am qualified it. and unbiased to say that short wavelengths are interesting. I... As a radio astronomer, <laughs> I take umbrage with that statement, but I will continue. So... That means so as Ryan is claiming that the the shortest wavelengths, highest frequencies going, so you go to what we can see, that would be blue and violet. Mm. You can then go into ultraviolet, which we can't see, but they mm. give you sunburn. Um, and then you can keep on going up and up or the frequencies get higher and higher. Mm. And you get into what we call gamma rays, which we may have, you may have learned about in some high school physics. From Hulk. Ah, uh, yes. Hulk was radiated with gamma rays. Yes. And rather than getting cancer, he got superpowers. So yeah. um, unfortunately, that hasn't happened here on Earth and that gamma rays have a tremendously high amount of energy mm. um, and that they have high enough energy to break bonds in your DNA. Or just poke holes straight through it. Yeah. Um, although at the same time, it's kind of lucky. Well, it depends on where they land. And mm. that so gamma rays, when you're talking about kind of they are often produced from nuclear reactions. Mm. They're what's called highly penetrating, as in they can just fly through things because often they need to find something they can interact mm. with because they're such high energy. There are a lot, not a lot of things that they can do stuff with sometimes when they're passing through yep. stuff. 
Um, so, but when they do interact with stuff, they do a tremendous amount of damage because they're such high energy. Um, and they're made from very violent processes mm. too, or very highly energetic processes. And then going all the way down the other end, you get redder and redder mm. to go to infrared, like you, you know, um, your TV remote uses to control the TV, just like mm. flashes infrared. Um, and you're sometimes if you've got a certain type of camera phone, I think the old iPhones actually could see it. They could actually see infrared. So you could point your TV remote mm. at your phone camera, maybe test it out, and then you can see. Of course, we can go longer and longer. We go to microwaves. So we're talking like wavelengths on the order of centimeters. Mm. And now we're getting into meters, going into radio. So, so the energy scales of these things. Mm. So at the radio level, it's absolutely tiny how much yeah. energy is contained in a, in a radio wave. Yeah. But they are interesting to study. I'll concede that. Yeah. But so the, I will say now that the, the energy then that's coming from the planets, it's all reflected optical light mm. from the sun. Mm. In the same way that we see the moon, the moon doesn't give off any of its own light. It's not glowing. It is illuminated. Yes. So, so it's not luminous, it is illuminated. Mm. There are slight differences in the mm. light we receive because of the various atoms and molecules present in the planet's atmosphere. Yeah, so how reflective yeah. it is. Yeah. By that, uh, it's essentially the sun's light coming straight back at us. Yeah. So, so it's the same type of light that we're used to dealing with every day. It's nothing nothing strange, nothing mm. high energy, nothing... Low, nothing low energy that's going to pass through a lot of stuff like radio yeah. or it's going to interact with your brain somehow like some people tend to claim. Yeah, so, you know, it doesn't seem like light's a good candidate for determining no, your attitude. No, especially since, <laughs> especially since optical light is so easily blocked by everyday objects. Yeah, that's very true. So, are we? do we have a third way? Are we out of interactions? Well, Interactions that are currently known. Of course, yeah. it could be possible that astrology is true mm. and there is some kind of physics, some reality of the universe that we just haven't uncovered yet. Yeah. But I guess the easiest way to dispute that is the astrologers didn't notice their star signs shifted. Yeah, that's the big one. So if it were a secret energy, then... I'm confused as to as to why why they wouldn't have noticed that the energy was changing over time. Yeah. I could have just been incremental enough that it didn't register. <laughs> but this also falls into a common fallacy that science encounters. Mm. Whereas if if you pose something, if you say something's there, but you provide no way to test such a thing. Yeah. What's the point in posing the question? Yeah. So it's a Popperian unfalsifiable claim, so mm. Karl Popper's claim that we've talked about before, that it's not, if you can't test it, if you can't prove it wrong, then it's essentially a, a kind of a useless claim because you can mm. never prove it wrong or right. Yeah. So we're left with a situation where gravity doesn't, well, it doesn't really register. Yeah. The people around you have more gravity. The, the, the geology of the earth around you has probably a larger influence. Yeah. Um, the other option is light. Mm. That, as we discussed, 
that doesn't really seem to do anything. Um, a larger thing on your birth would be the, the brightness of the fluorescent lights in the hospital. Yeah. So I guess what we're, the conclusion we're coming to is that astrology may not be correct, but yeah. you can determine your future based on the light levels in the hospital and the mass of the people around you when you're being born. <laughs> Do you accept this hypothesis? Um, no, because again, it's that'd be far too difficult to measure. Mm. And then the amount that that would change, the amount, the variability of that light, and the variability of all that mass around you, mm. is just far too high then to have. Yes. And so, and also, we just don't have a way of then explaining how does that influence your life. Mm. The re- you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? What are your relationships? How does it? Be? How does it affect the biology of the yeah. situation? So your molecules are pretty tightly bound together unless some very energetic light comes along and breaks it apart or some excessive gravitational field comes along and tears some molecules apart. Yeah. Uh, mm, I don't know. I, I guess it's time for us to to kind of conclude yeah. on, on what we think. So so hopefully we've been we have been reasonably fair in our approach to astrology. Yeah. We've, we've discussed the things that they put forward and some counter-arguments. So with that in mind, what do you rate astrology? Science? Is it barely science or is it the, the BS? Um, it's definitely a strong BS, especially... Well, I will say that I'm definitely biased here being accused of being an astrologer <laughs> on many an occasion. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that we're dismissing it out of hand. That, no. Um, so far, we've just found that the, the claims that have been made aren't supported by the evidence. Mm. But that's not to say that evidence couldn't come along that show that those claims are true. Yeah. But that, again, we're kind of getting into the Occam's razor territory. Mm. As in, it's more likely that the things that we understand, that you know, people are likely to believe broad claims about themselves mm. and claims that are broadly true will probably apply to most people. That's more probable than the incredibly weak gravitation and weak light mm. coming off planets and stars yeah. having an effect on the rest of your life. Yeah, I'll, I'll side with that as well. And I'll say... It's BS. And yeah. uh, following Alex qualifier there, I am also biased because I too am an, an astronomer. Um, but the fact that these persist, these um, horoscopes are pretty much in every major newspaper. Yeah. And you can find them online easily. It suggests something about the human psyche. Yeah. We want to know about the future. And we want to have a connection with space. And I think that's profound. Mm. We're a civilization that grew up with the stars. We observed the stars. We based our calendar off the motion of the stars and the moon. So there's a nice kind of profound link to what we want as as a species versus what we what we looking for now. Yeah. Uh, I just wish that that, uh, that want was reflected, say, in our websites and newspapers with larger and more interesting science yes. sections rather than enormous Instead of horoscope sections. In the horoscope column, just have a 
column for an interesting science thing that happened that day. Because a lot of the discoveries go unnoticed and mm. some of them will change our lives. Yeah. Unlike astrology. And with that, we'll call it adieu. Yeah. And I'll uh, be sure to thank the Australian National University and the Centre of Public Awareness of Science for providing us with a podcast studio to record this place in. So thank you for listening. If you think we've been unfair to astrology, do let us know the patches you think we were unfair at. Uh, and please tune in next time to learn about aliens. Aliens. <laughs>